1 Samuel chapter number 30, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. We're going to read a good chunk of this chapter this morning. We're not going to use every single verse. We're not going to look at every single one. We're going to read down to verse number 26. So everybody take a deep breath and get ready. Verse number 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass, when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south, and Ziklag, and smitten Ziklag, and burned it with fire. And had taken the women captives that were therein, they slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away, and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David went, he and the six hundred men that were with him, and came to the brook Bazer, where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and four hundred men, for two hundred abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Bazer. And they found an Egyptian in the field, and brought him to David, and gave him bread, and he did eat, and they made him drink water. And they gave him a piece of cake of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. And David said unto him, To whom belongest thou, and whence art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. My master left me, because three days agone I fell sick. We made an invasion upon the south of the Carathites, and upon the coast which belongeth to Judah, and upon the south of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Canst thou bring me to the, down to this company? And he said, Swear unto me by God that thou wilt neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to this company. And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them from the twilight even unto the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save four hundred young men which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. There was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. And David took all the flocks and the herds which they drave before those other cattle and said, This is David's spoil. And David came to the two hundred men which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had made also to abide at the brook Bazer. They went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. When David came near to the people, he saluted them. Then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial of those that went with David and said, Because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered. Saved every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. Then said David, You shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? 
But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. And it was so from that day forward and that he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. When David came to Ziklag, he sent, to the, uh, he sent of the spoil unto the elders of Judah, even to his friends, saying, Behold, a present for you of the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. Now, let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for the time that you've given us. Bless the preaching of your word. Speak to hearts for your glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I know we've read a lot of Scripture this morning, and I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to just jump through this passage, because uh, 26 verses is a lot to try to preach every single verse. Somebody say amen to that. We We have to finish up in time for next week so that we can preach on the resurrection. Somebody say amen to that. If I preached all 26 verses, we'd just be here straight from now till Sunday morning, so we won't do that. But I want you to notice that this is a turning point in David's life. He has been out of the will of God. He has been living out of the will of God. He has given no thought to the Lord. In fact, the the name of the Lord is is not mentioned in the prior three chapters other than when the pagan king Achish mentions the name of the Lord. Other than that, David, you see, he's not talking about God. He's not thinking about God. He's running from God. He's out of the will of God. He doesn't want anything to do with God or the people of God or the things of God. But all of a sudden, things come crashing down around David. You know, oftentimes when we're out of the will of God, it's sad to say it, but that's what it takes before we'll get right. I'm just telling you, we are stubborn creatures, us human beings. And oftentimes it takes an experience just like David's for God to get our attention. I can't tell you the numbers of times that I have sat beside somebody in a hospital bed or I've sat beside a family member at a funeral or I've uh, sat beside someone as their heart was broken. They were weeping over circumstances. And oftentimes even they would confess, Preacher, I've not been living right. I've not been doing right. And I know this is because I've been living out of the will of God. The reality is God will and can get our attention when He wants to. It's just a question of how much He might have to take from us to get our attention. You know, I, I was, and I'll share this with you real quick. I, my little boy, uh, he's, I don't know what it is with kids and TV, all right? But you turn on TV to a little kid, they just, they're on another planet at that point. And you know what I found out I've had to do a lot of times? He'll be sitting there, he'll be watching some program, and I'll say, Lawrence, and I can't get his attention. He's just staring ahead, glassy-eyed, you know, like he's hypnotized. And I'll say, Lawrence, and I'll say, Lawrence. And finally, if I reach over and grab that remote and turn that program off, it's like he just snaps out of it. And he turns and looks at me and he says, yes, Daddy. Can I just say, sometimes that's what God has to do with us. We get so headed in a direction. We get get so invested in a plan. And we can't even see what it's doing to our life. And sometimes, you know what God has to do? He just has to turn the show off to get our attention. I believe that's what we're seeing happen in David's life here. Now, I have three simple thoughts that I want to give you. And I want you to notice, David, at three different periods of time in this chapter. In the first six verses, I believe we see David hitting rock bottom. Look what it says in verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag. Now remember, Ziklag is the place that uh, Gath, uh, or that Achish, the king of Gath, had given them to dwell in. So right now, this is their home. This is their place of security and safety. When they came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south, and Ziklag, and smitten Ziklag, and burned it with fire. 
and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Let me say the first part of him hitting rock bottom is we notice his affliction. Things went wrong, they went drastically wrong, and they went wrong quickly. Now, remember, David is not expecting to have to fight the Amalekites. In fact, earlier he had went down and he had, the Bible says, made a road against the the Terathites and made a road against some of these people. Of all the enemies that David thought he was going to have to fight that day, he didn't think it would be the Amalekites. Can I say something to you? When God's trying to get your attention, it don't have to be something that you're expecting to happen. Sometimes things can come out of the blue. I've said this before, but I'll share it again. I promise you there's people right now sitting down in the hospital, be it UT or Park West Fort Center, wherever it might be, they didn't plan on sitting at a hospital this morning. They didn't plan for this to happen. There's people, I guarantee you, right now at funeral homes making arrangements, they didn't plan to be there this morning. Uh, we think, and here's, here's David's problem. He's living in Ziklag. He's thinking the Israelites ain't going to attack me because I'm an Israelite. The Philistines ain't going to attack me because I'm living in their land and I'm fighting for them. He thought he had all his bases covered. I've got news for you this morning. You may think you've got everything covered, but if God wants to get your attention, He's able to knock everything out from underneath you in a moment. Imagine how it felt for David when he comes riding back and he sees the smoke ascending. He knows what that means. He's an experienced man. He's been in battle. He understands what that means. He knows that someone has come and fallen on that place. Could you imagine the terror that gripped his heart when he thought about everything that he might have lost? Don't you know he thought to himself, my wives were in there. My children are in there. My goods are in there. My cattle are in there. His whole life was in that one place. And when God wanted to reach down and touch it, God was able to do so. God was able to do so. We see his affliction. Notice verse number 4 and 5, the next part of him hitting rock bottom. The Bible says, verse number 4, Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. No more power to weep. We notice not only his affliction, we notice his agony. Sometimes the turmoil is on the outside where everybody can see it. But sometimes the turmoil is on the inside where nobody can see it. I promise you that there's probably people in this room going through things that you don't know about, that I don't know about, that nobody knows about except for them and maybe their loved ones. Things that they don't trumpet to the world. There might even right now, you might be sitting there and there might not be a soul in the world that knows what's going on in your heart right now except for you and God. But right now your heart is torn in pieces. You know there's some things that God's dealing with you about. You know there's some things that you need to get settled and straightened out. Sometimes it's affliction on the outside. Sometimes it's agony on the inside. Notice what David and his men did. They wept until they could weep no more. Like a wrung out dish rag. They just had no more strength left. You know what will happen? If you keep living out and you don't get right, the thing's going to eat you up inside eventually. Eventually it will eat you up inside until you have no more power to do anything. Now you say, preacher, that won't happen to me. It happened to David. You think you're better? I'm not better than David. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, David was a human being. I don't think we should deify him. He was a human being like you or me. But I can't say that I'd have the courage that David had. I can't say that I've made the sacrifices David had. And we go on and on through Scripture and see example after example of people got out of the will of God. And God came like a wrecking ball into their life to get their attention. We see his agony. Notice verse number 6. I want you to see what the Bible says. 
not only is it that the Ziklag is burned, not only is it that all of his wives have been taken and, and his goods, not only is it that, uh, that uh, everybody is, has wept until they could weep no more. But look at verse 6. The Bible says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. Notice not only his affliction and his agony, but notice his abandonment. All of a sudden, now the people that are closest to him. And by the way, these ain't the lords of the Philistines. In, in the prior chapter, you remember, David, he wanted to go out to war and fight against Israel. But the lords of the Philistines didn't trust him. And they told Achish, they said, this man's not going to go down and fight with us. And neither are all of his uh, Hebrew cohorts and friends that he has. They're not going to go fight with us. They might turn their swords on us when we get into the battle. And so Achish says, you need to take your men, David. You need to go home. Has it ever occurred to you that when it says that David and his men spake of stoning him, that's all his men. That's his closest friends. These are, I'm talking about these are the folks that gathered themselves unto him in, in the cave of Agilom, banded together. I'm talking about these are the ones, these are the mighty men. These are the ones that literally, I, these are the same ones that would, would later on cross over enemy lines just to get them a drink of water out of the well at Bethlehem. And now they're talking about stoning him to death. Sometimes God has to get us alone to deal with us. Reminds me of Jacob there by the, war, uh, by, by the brook Jabek. Uh, the, the Bible says, uh, and Jacob was left alone that night. And it was that night that the Lord Jesus, I believe it was the Lord Jesus, the Bible says the angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus met Jacob that night and began to wrestle with him. You see, when all the people were around, Jacob was too distracted for God to deal with him. But when God got Jacob alone, then he could deal with him. You know, it might be God has to bring us to a place where there's no one we can turn to to get our attention. I think, you know, we live in a society with a lot of safety nets. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. Uh, 200 years ago, if you didn't have nobody to take care of you, you, you just laid in the street and starved to death. And, and I mean, by and large, that, that, that don't have to happen today. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen, but it doesn't have to happen today. We live in a society of safety nets. Uh, if you want help, if you need help, there's all kinds of government offices you can go to and places you can go to. There's ministries you can go to. You can talk to people and you can get some help. You can get some encouragement. There are all kinds of things today that we can go to. And sometimes I think that's a detriment to God's dealing with society. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not advocating that we don't take care of those that need to take care of. But I'm just saying this. Uh, if, if the prodigal son, if he had ran away today, somebody would have given him a bed and a sandwich and he would have never went home. Sometimes God has to bring us to a place where there's no one to turn to. Where we're alone and there's no one to lean on. Sometimes I feel like even those of us that we, we have our loved ones and they're out of the will of God or they're not living right. We have children or, 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 or grandchildren or, or parents or whatever it might be that are out of the will of God. Sometimes I think we enable that. We want to be a support system to them. We want to help them. We want to encourage them. We don't want to see them hit rock bottom. But David didn't turn until he did hit rock bottom. Everybody had to turn. Even those closest to him turned away and abandoned him. I want you to notice in this passage, we see David hit rock bottom. Notice number two, we see David returning. Now, this is encouraging to me. Look at verse number six. I never noticed this before. But let's read the whole verse. I know we just read it, but let's read the whole verse. David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughter. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. This is where things change for David. Now, this is interesting. If you study, you'll find this same word used all through the Bible. 
You'll find that it's used in the Old Testament whenever the angels were taking uh, Lot and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible says that the angel grabbed hold of Lot's hand. That's the same word that's used here for encouraged. You'll find that this same word is used whenever the famine came to the land of Egypt. And the Bible says that the famine fell on the land and the famine was sore on the land. That same word is used. You know what it means? It has the idea of grabbing hold of something. You know what happened in David's life? He had been reaching out to everybody for help. And when everybody finally left and he reached out, there's no one for him to reach out to except to God. That's what it means when it says he encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, I've heard preachers preach on this, and I'm not saying this is bad preaching. I mean, there's a place to preach this truth and, and, and this reality, uh, this idea that, you know, David, nobody would help him, so he, he found help in the Lord. And that. But I don't think that's what's going on. I don't think David is right where he needs to be, but all of his friends have abandoned him because they're ungodly, and so they've left David, and David says, well, nobody else will encourage me, so I'll get encouraged in the Lord. I think what's being said here is this. David is repenting for the way that he's been living. For four chapters, for three chapters, he's not had anything to do with God. But finally, when he hits the bottom, he turns and he grabs hold of God as hard as he can. David, you know why he turned to God? Because there wasn't nowhere else to turn. That's what hitting rock bottom means. It means getting to the place where there are no other options. Sometimes that's something that happens externally with our circumstances. Sometimes that's something that happens internally within our spirit. We get to a place where we know. We know that the next self-help book, we know that the next pill, we know that the next uh, session with a friend, we know that the next session with a therapist, that ain't going to do anything because it ain't done anything in the first place. We get to the place where our brokenness begins to crowd in on us. And finally we turn and reach to the one that can, the only one that can provide real peace. Let me say something to you this morning. I believe God used all kinds of things to minister to people. I, I'm not against... I, there, there's a, People ask me sometimes, they'll say, Preacher, are, are, are you against people taking medicine if they've got a psychological condition. I'll be honest with you. I know a lot of people that aren't on medicine that probably should be. Somebody say amen to that. I'm not saying God don't use that, okay? God does use that. And people say, well, preacher, are you against, are you against Christian therapy? No, I'm not against that. I mean, listen, there, there's, hey, that's, that's less griping I have to listen to as a pastor. Somebody say amen to that. I, I'm not against, I, I believe God uses those things. But I'm saying this, there's only one place you're really going to find peace. And God may use some of those other things to minister to you, but if you don't find God and get a hold of Him, nothing else will matter. Nothing else will matter. David repents. He's been headed one way. You say, how do you know that? Because he's been walking away from God. And he can't grab a hold of God unless he does what? He turns around and grabs hold of him. Don't you see the imagery here? That's what repentance means, right? It's, it's, it's an about face. It's a 180 degree change. It's a change of the mind and the heart that produces a change in the actions. Repentance is not just the change in the actions. Right? There's a lot of people that change their actions, but they ain't change their heart. Uh, repentance is not a change in actions. It's a change in heart that produces a change in actions. And David, here's the change in heart that we see taking place. He's been headed away from God, but he said there's nowhere else to turn. There's nowhere else to go. I've got to get a hold of God. And so he does an about face, and he starts running to God. He says, I know if I can find God, God will make everything right. We see his repentance. Now, I want you to notice not only his repentance, but notice his request. Now, look what it says in verse number 7. The Bible says, And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod, 
And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. Now, the ephod was the garment that the Old Testament priest wore. And when he was going about his priestly ministries, he would wear an ephod. Now, there was an ephod that the high priest wore, but then there were linen ephods that uh, that other priests wore. I don't know if it was the ephod or a ephod. I don't know. But here's what I do know. David's getting ready to go back to God, and he's getting ready to find some direction. The Bible says in verse number 8, David inquired at the Lord saying, shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? <laughs> Boy, this is, a, this is a change, isn't it? This is the same David that three chapters ago, he said, I'm going to go down to the Philistines and get help so that I'll be delivered out of the hand of Saul. This is the same David that for three chapters has not uttered God's name once. And this David is saying, I need to get some help from the Lord. I need God's wisdom about this matter. You know, part of getting back close to the Lord, part of it is confessing and forsaking your sins. But part of it, too, is confessing and forsaking your needy, or confessing and embracing your neediness of God. Confessing and embracing your neediness. You know how most of us get out of the will of God? Most of us don't get out of the will of God saying, boy, you know, here's this sin, and I love this sin, and I love this sin more than God. So I'm going to go out, and I'm going to start living in this sin, and I don't care what happens to me because I enjoy that sin so much. You know, that's not how most of us get out of the will of God. You know how most of us get out of the will of God? We say this, you know, I think I can figure this out on my own. I think I can figure this out on my own. That's what David said. He said, man, this Saul, he's given me up the road. I'm tired of dealing with him. Twice I have, and by the way, can I say this? Don't get impatient on God's deliverance. You know, part of what I think fostered this decision in David's life, twice he had had Saul in his hands and twice he had shown mercy. And you know what I think he finally said? I'm tired of being the good guy. I'm tired of showing mercy. If I keep showing mercy, one of these days Saul's going to kill me. Let me tell you something. Obeying the Lord is never a bad thing. Never a bad thing. You're not going to be at a disadvantage by living for the Lord. But sometimes we say, well, I've been living right, I've been doing right, and this ain't happened, and it's supposed to have happened. Uh, You know, preacher, I've been tithing, and God ain't made me rich yet. Preacher, I've been reading my Bible, but, you know, I, I ain't found an answer to what I'm struggling with yet. Preacher, I've prayed, but God hasn't changed this yet. Well, listen, don't give up on the Lord. Continue to be faithful. Continue to do those things. The promise of God is true. Yea, let God be true. And every man a liar. God's Word will be true. Uh, listen, when you're out of this world, the Word of God is still going to stand. It will outlast you and I. Uh, settled forever in heaven, O oh Lord, right? It will outlast you and I. Uh, the, the, the hammers of empires have been broken on the anvil of God's Word. They have done their best to stamp out and destroy God's Word. They've had book burning after book burning. But guess what? Those emperors are dead. Those empires have fallen, and the Word of God still stands. So don't get impatient. God's Word is true, and you be faithful. But here's what I think David said. I think he said, I- I'm going to do things my way. I'm just going to handle it. I'm going to figure it out. I've got a plan. And that's how he got out of the will of God. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, well, that plan didn't work. (laughs) That's what he's saying. He's saying, well, I I decided I was going to get out of uh, the will of God. I was going to leave Israel. I was going to go down to Ziklag, and I was going to be safe there. But he realized that there's bigger things to fear than the king of Israel whom God has under his control. The safest place for you and I to be is right smack in the will of God. If that's in the middle of the fire, so be it. But that's a safer place than going and trying to find shelter in our own plans and desires and wishes. And he, he built this whole house around them, didn't he? And then all of a sudden, in a moment, it's all gone. 
He's saying, Lord, I need wisdom. Lord, I need to know what I need to do. But notice this. I thought this was interesting. We see not only his repentance and his request, but notice his responsibility. Now, he asks the Lord. He says, Lord, should I pursue after them? Should I overtake them? Now, something, think about something. This is the God of all the universe he's praying to, right? This is the same God that later on would in one night smite like 182,000 Assyrians by the hand of an angel. This is the same God that sent the death angel through the land of Egypt on the night of the Passover and slew who knows how many millions of people. If God had wanted to, He could have froze time. He could have killed every one of those Amalekites and left them laying dead in the road. He could have killed them, picked up their bodies, brought them right back and set them where David was standing. But what was God's answer? He says, shall I pursue? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all. You know, sometimes things don't change like that. I hate to tell you this, but sometimes it takes a little work to get things back how they used to be. Now, let me be very, very clear this morning. If God forgives us, when God forgives us, it's by His grace. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? That's still in 1 John 1. I, I, I believe that. I believe if I've sinned, if I repent in my heart and ask God's forgiveness, He forgives me instantaneously for that based on the blood of Christ. But that don't mean that the mess that I've made out of my life after 16 months of living in, the, in Ziklag and, and three chapters of running from God, that doesn't mean all that gets straightened out in a moment. Sometimes it takes a little time to get things back how they used to be. Hey, listen, if, if your marriage is hurting right now, you can apologize, but it might take a little bit of time to win her trust back. It might take a little bit of time to win his trust back. Uh, things don't, and I'm not trying to discourage you, I'm just saying there is a responsibility you have. It might take you a little time. You might have to get faithful. You might have to stay faithful. There might be some things that you've let in your life that your flesh likes a lot, and you need to repent of them and get them out. And it might be your flesh doesn't like that and lets you know they don't like that. It might be there's some friends or some contacts that you've let in your life. It might be some uh, folks that you have, uh, you have indebted yourself to as far as uh, needing their approval, and you may have to be willing to forgo and leave that approval and suffer the consequence. I'm saying sometimes you have to pursue if you want things to be set right. Sometimes it don't happen just in a moment. Sometimes it takes a little time and a little work and a little faith and a little patience. But that was his responsibility. Now, David has gotten right with God at this point. I believe that. I believe if we were to ask God's opinion on it right here, God would say, me and David, we're square right now. He's repented. He has asked my forgiveness. He has sought my will. He has uh, partaken in, uh, in the punishment. And he is now willingly going out to try to rectify the situation. Now, what happens? I want you to notice in this passage, not only do we see David hit rock bottom and we see David returning, but we see David restored. Look what it says in verses number 13 through 15. Now, there's four things I noticed very quickly that changed immediately in David's life that I believe we'll see change in our life if we'll get our hearts right with God. Look at verse 13. The Bible says, And David said unto him, To whom belongest thou? Now, he's talking to a young Egyptian man. Whence art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me because three days agone I fell sick. We made an invasion upon the south of the Carathites and upon the coast which belongs to Judah and upon the south of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? And he said, Swear unto me by God that thou wilt neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to this company. 
Now, I know this almost seems like sort of a parenthetical, like a side story. And in some ways it is. But I want you to stop and consider that in the overall context of what's going on. Now, David, he has decided he's going to pursue the Amalekites. He's got his army. They're in tow. They're marching or they're riding. They're pursuing as fast as they can. But here's the problem. They don't know where they're at. Listen, there there ain't no wireless cameras. There ain't no GPS. They just have to guess where they have headed to. And as they're traveling down the road, they come across this young man lying there, passed out, about to die, and they stop to help him. Now, they don't know who this man is. They just see a man in distress and in need, so they stop to help him. And so they give him a little food. They give him a little, the Bible says, a portion of a cake of figs and some raisins. Wouldn't that be awful? Can I just say something to you this morning? If I'm ever passed out and about to die, and it takes raisins to bring me back, just let me go on to glory. Amen? And so they give him some raisins, and he wakes back up, and they say, Hey, buddy, who are you? Now, there's probably a lot of things they expected here. They might have expected here, well, I'm, I'm a sojourner, I'm traveling, and, and I got, you know, like the Samaritan, you know, I, or, or like the, the fellow that was helped by the good Samaritan, I got attacked and everything. Here's what they did not expect to hear. I'm an Egyptian. I'm a servant. I belong to an Amalekite. And we just invaded Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they left me here. And I happen to know where they're headed. Can I say this to you? He got his privilege back. Say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, for three chapters, things had been working against him. Every time David turned in the prior three chapters and tried to accomplish something, God thwarted it. You know why? Because he was out of the will of God. But now that he's trying to get things right, now that he's back in the will of God, you see God opening doors for him left and right. Who would imagine that out in the wilderness they would find a man and they would be able to save his life so that he would be indebted to them and he would be able to lead them to the place they're headed to? That's a God thing. That's a God thing. You know, I'm not saying if you get in the will of God that everything's always going to be easy. But I'll tell you this, if you'll get in the will of God, you'll be amazing the thing, you'll be amazed the things God will work out for you. You'll be amazed the things that God will do, things that you could have never planned, things that you could have never orchestrated. I promise you, if they had planted a spy in the Amalekites' camp and had been cultivating him for a year, trying to get somebody to give them intel, it couldn't have fell more beautifully in their lap the way that it did with this young Egyptian servant. Because God had been orchestrating that. God had been doing that. By the way, you want to know something about the grace of God? For three days he had been sick. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think David had repented three days prior to this moment. That tells you something. God knows all things. God was wanting and expecting and planning for David to get right. That means this. God's already got things in the works for you if you just repent and turn to Him. God's already got things planned for your life if you just repent and turn to Him. Now, here's something else interesting. Uh, Not only do we see the Egyptian that they come across. Look at verse 16. The Bible says, And when they had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. Now, when it says eating and drinking and dancing, it means they were reveling. Uh, That means they were probably down there drunk, carrying on. So here's David. He finds this Egyptian. This Egyptian says, hey, as long as you won't kill me or give me to them, I'll take you to him. And so they follow this young man and they get there. And when they get there, you know what they find? They don't find a well-regimented and structured army that is waiting to pounce. They find a bunch of drunken fools. You know what that is? You know what we call that? We call that fish in a barrel. Fish in a barrel. 
In other words, God was opening doors and working things out for him if he would just turn back and trust the Lord. We see he got his privilege back. Notice not only did he get his privilege back, look at verse 18, 19. I'm not going to dwell on this, but the Bible says, And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. There was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken. Then David recovered all. You know, God's able to give things back to you. There, there might be things, you, preacher, I'll never have my joy the way I used to. Oh, yeah, you can. If you'll come to the Lord, you can. Preacher, I've burnt bridges with my loved ones. I've been out of the will of God. I've hurt my kids. I've hurt my spouse. I've hurt my family. I can't make that right. You might be amazed what God can do if you'll get back in the will of God and start seeking Him and start having a Christian testimony about it. You see, I'm not saying that there aren't consequences. There are. There, listen, we get out and we live wrong. There are scars we have to live with sometimes. But that doesn't mean you'd be amazed. That, that, listen, the, the things that the locusts have eaten, God can restore. The things that the canker worm has eaten, that's what the prophet said. And I believe the book of Joel, things that the canker worm has eaten, God can restore. Things that you thought were gone, God is able to bring back to life. I noticed that not only did he get his privilege back, he got his possessions back. Look at verse 22. The Bible says this, Then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial, of those that went with David, and said, Because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered. Say to every man, his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. Now, here's what's going on. David went out and he had 600 men. 200 of them couldn't make it. They got worn out. They got tired. I don't know why it is. I don't know if they weren't training. I don't know if they hadn't eaten properly. I don't know what it was. I don't know if they were sick. But they couldn't continue on. So they leave them by the brook Bazer. And here's a good Bible word. I don't know if you knew this. Did you see it when we read it? Stuff. Do you know that's a Bible word? Stuff. If somebody says, hey, this is my stuff, that's Bible language. All right? It says they left them by the stuff, meaning they left all the supplies and victuals and everything with them so they could travel lighter. And uh, when they come back... They've got all the spoils. And some of the guys, they say, hey, we ain't going to give them nothing. They didn't fight for it. They stood here by the brook. They've been laying up here just watching our stuff. We're not going to give them part of the share. Listen to what David does. Look at verse 23. The Bible says, Then said David, You shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff, they shall part alike. Can I say, not only did he get his privilege and his possessions back, but David got his pity back. You remember back in the, in, in the first message we preached, back in, uh, I believe, chapter number 27, when David gets out of the will of God and he makes a road down to the south, meaning that he went out raiding and went out fighting. The Bible says he didn't leave a woman or a child alive. It was scorched earth. He killed everyone so that they couldn't rat him out, so that they couldn't tell Achish what he had been doing. We talked about how that was uncharacteristic of David. That David was never that way. This is a man that had Saul twice in his power and could have killed him and didn't do it. David, when he was out of the will of God, you know what it did? It made him cruel. It made him cold. It made him judgmental. But you know what happens when he gets back in the will of God? All of a sudden, now he's got his pity back. He's got his compassion back. It's made him tender once again. And he says, listen, I know they didn't go fight, but you're not the person to decide this. We're going to treat them just like we treated everyone else. You know, you'll find this. When you get back in the will of God, you understand a lot better how other people get out of the will of God. When you get back in the will of God, I found this. When, when I've got a bad spirit about me, when I'm out of the will of God, I want God to judge everybody. No matter who it is. I, at least I, the person that parked funny at the Walmart, I want God to smite them down in judgment. 
I just I got a bad spirit about me, and I and I just I don't care, you know. I mean, hey, it, it bothers me, you know. But I find when I'm walking close to God, it's not that those things don't bother me, but it's I see them through a different lens. And I think to myself, man, God's been so gracious with me. God's been so tender with me. Can't I show pity on them? Let me give you one final thing. I'll be done this morning. Look at verse 26. The Bible says, And when David came to Ziklag, he sent of the spoil unto the elders of Judah, even to his friends. And these are the same folks he was getting ready to fight against one chapter earlier. Even to his friends. Saying, Behold, a present for you of the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. What's David doing? David knows he's about to go back home. David understands he's spent 16 months behind enemy lines. David understands that uh, it might get around that he was getting ready to go and fight against Israel. You know what he's doing? He's sending ahead a gift to make nice, to make peace with the people back in Judah. You know, I don't know why he would do that, except he believed this. God has called me to be the king of Israel. And one of these days, I'm going to sit on that throne. And when I do, I need the people to love me and to support me. I need to do something to ingratiate myself unto them. I need to do something to make them supportive and appreciative again. You know what he's doing? Let me say this, and I'm done. He got his perspective back. He's seeing again what really matters in life. You know what he's realizing? He's saying, the will of God is for me to rule the kingdom, so I better be good to the kingdom. Before, you know what he was doing? He was saying, hey, let me go out to battle. I'll stand up with you. I'll fight with you. I'll slay every Hebrew I come across. You know why? He wasn't thinking about eternity. He was just thinking about the now. But now, you know what he's doing? He's saying, hey, listen, God has a will and a plan and a purpose for me. I better get out here and I better start doing what I have to do to do the will of God and to live in the will of God. You know, when you get it in the will of God, you'll find this, that the temporal things, they don't matter as much as you thought they did. And you'll find when you get in the will of God, there's things that do matter. You'll start investing in eternity instead of investing in the now. You'll start paying attention to what happens to your spiritual well-being and the well-being of your loved ones. You see, when he got adjusted, it adjusted his purpose and directive and passion in life. Now he's interested in doing that which is going to glorify the Lord. I wonder this morning if maybe there's some areas of our life. You might be way out this morning. I don't know. I, you know, truthfully, preacher, he sees people a few times a week, and everybody knows to try to behave and hide their sin when they're around him. I don't know what's going on in your life. I've told you before, I don't, I, listen, if I knew what was going on, if I knew what half people were doing, I'd probably retire, quit, resign, you know. I don't know what's going on in your life. You might have some things going on in your life that just a few people know about, but your life's in turmoil right now. There might be some things going on inwardly in your heart that nobody knows about but you and God, and you've hit rock bottom. You're tired of this. You're tired of living out. You're tired of the way you feel. You're tired of seeing doors slamming in your face. You're tired of being bitter. And you want to get right. You know all you have to do? Like what David did. You've been headed this way. Start by just turning and grabbing a hold of God this morning. Just turn and say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I've made a mess of things. I don't know how to fix it. But God, I know that you can. And Lord, I want you this morning. Turn back to Him. And you know what you'll find? If you'll do that, God will start to lead you along. You might have to pursue. There might be some things in your life you have to get rid of that hurt to get rid of. But you know, you'll find this, that once it's all said and done, God's got a throne waiting for David, right? God had a crown waiting for David. Who knows what God has waiting for you if you just turn unto the Lord? With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed.